This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello there. Welcome to It's an S-Pod Thing, the podcast revisiting every episode of S-Club 7's insane TV show. I'm Sophie Davis, and joining me on this journey from Miami to Spain will be a range of guests who may or may not have seen the show before. Either way, we're going to analyse it in more detail than anyone ever asked for. If you're an S-Club fan like me and remember watching the show, hopefully this podcast will bring it all back to you. So my guest on the podcast today is podcaster Tim Henton. Hello. Hey Sophie, how's it going? I'm good, thanks. How's it going with you? Yeah, good. I was just saying before uh, we uh, recorded that I'm currently recording in an empty room because I'm moving in a couple of days time. So I've had to like get all the soft furnishings from the rest of the house and throw them all in this room so that it doesn't echo quite so much. So hopefully it doesn't echo too much on the recording. <laughs> so that is proper commitment to sound quality. Isn't I think yeah. you can tell that you're a podcaster. Most <laughs> people wouldn't bother <laughs> well it was when i walked in earlier and like the door made this weird echoey noise i was like oh dear right we're gonna have to sort that out <laughs> so first of all i'd like to know what is your history with s club seven and have you ever seen this tv show before well yes i have seen this tv show before my history with s club seven and um, one of my favorite um, embarrassing facts about myself that i like to tell anyone at any opportunity is um, that I, as a child, was a member of the S Club 7 fan club back in the day. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I don't know if you've had any other guests on yet that have been uh, no, in the fan club. No, I don't club. think so. Um, and I rem- if, that, if I have, they've kept it very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing that I remember about it, because um, I don't remember very much, was that they used to send out a newsletter, as all these fan clubs do. Um, but the S Club 7 fan club, what was special about their newsletter was it was the size of an insert for a, a CD jewel case every month with like a glossy picture on the front. Um, so as you can imagine, as an 11-year-old me, whenever they used to come in, I used to think I was dead cool because I would put them in the CD and act like I'd got a brand new S Club 7 album. <laughs> What else did the fan club involve? Was it just getting a newsletter every now and then? To be honest, I think that was about it. I don't remember very much else apart from that embarrassing fact. I think I was also the kind of lame kid that would like then leave, you know, if I had friends coming around, I would leave that CD out in the hope that they would go, oh, is that a new S Club 7? And I could be like, (laughs) no, I'm in the S Club 7 fan club. (laughs) And I just remember like, after that, a few years later, it was that weird point in my life where I was sort of a tween before tweens were a thing, before we had a word for that. And uh, it was, I turned into a right emo kid as I got older and into a lot of rock music and things like that. And it was S Club 7 was that weird band that I, uh, that band in that weird time frame where I really didn't know what music I was into. So I was like, yeah, I'll just say I like S Club 7 but I don't know if I ever actually did. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's strange that sort of thing when you're maybe in primary school and you think, oh, I'll like this band because my friend likes it. Yeah. Or, you know, because everyone else in the class likes it because you haven't really sort of developed like any sort of taste yet. Like you yeah. don't know what you like. I think, uh, yeah, I really liked S Club and Steps as well. They yeah. Were a big one. Don't think I was ever in a fan club though. No, I was never into any girl bands or any boy bands, but for some reason bands with both like Steps and S Club 7, I really connected with. I think it's probably the bisexual in me. <laughs> not not wanting to pick a side. But there aren't so many nowadays, are there? It's mostly no. all boys or all girls for some reason. Yeah. Obviously didn't know I was bi at the time, but looking back, maybe that's uh, that's the connection there. And you had seven people to choose from exactly. as well. There was a, a wide range of people. Yeah. And the, the reason I remember falling out of grace with uh, S Club 7 was I remember one time on a camping holiday and we had... F- obviously with family and some family friends came to visit one day and uh, the dad asked, you know, Oh, what, what music have you got to put on whilst we're having some lunch? And I'd brought my two, two albums. I had Britney Spears first album and <laughs> S club sevens first album. And he laughed at me and was like, these aren't, you know, the kind of music that a boy should be listening to. And that was the first yeah. time anyone had said something like that to me. And suddenly I was crestfallen and was like, I had an existential crisis because I was like, oh, what should I be listening to? And all of a sudden overnight, I just decided, right, apparently I don't like S Club 7 anymore. Again, if I ever did. <laughs> yeah, it's so pointless, isn't it? It just gets sort of beaten out of boys. Like, it oh, does. you shouldn't like that. And yeah. You should. You can't possibly play with a doll. God, <laughs> you, need, you need to be playing with a differently shaped piece of plastic. Exactly, yeah. But um, yeah, so I'd, I'd seen both of the TV shows, the first two seasons so i'd seen miami seven and la seven um, and it was really interesting because obviously it's been 20 years so I, I was unsure if i would remember anything about this show but i was very surprised how much i actually do remember having seen it once 20 years ago yeah it's strange how well it's such a weird show things do stand out and come back to you <laughs> yeah <laughs> so today we're talking about la seven episode 10 It's called Game Boy, uh, two words, because it's a a very clever pun. Uh, (laughs) And it aired on CBBC on the 8th of June in the year 2000. Um, And we start off at an audition where all these girls are dressed basically as Xena Warrior Princess, isn't it? But the character is called Zelda the Sorceress. Yes, which obviously is a bit of a wink and a nod to the Legend of Zelda series from Nintendo, the games. I think it was very apt of you to have picked uh, the episode Game Boy to get me on as a guest since I host a gaming podcast. I'm sure that was intentional because I'm going to have plenty of game-related things that wind me up throughout this episode. <laughs> yeah, that was my thinking. I latched onto that. I was like, there's a PS1 in this. <laughs> So this audition that's happening, it's for a games company because they need three Zeldas for a marketing campaign for a new game. Uh, Joe, Rachel and Hannah all arrive at the audition late. They're all in costume, like I said, a sort of Xena warrior princess sort of thing. Hannah is even wearing a long black wig with a fringe which makes her look like she's a sort of child dressed up for Halloween, doesn't it? Because she looks <laughs> like such a little baby. Yeah. As a kid, I remember that Hannah was the um, the member of the group that I thought was most attractive at the time. And I think as a guy, as a guy that uh, liked guys, 
and women, I think I always seem to gravitate towards the least threatening of the women as the one that I <laughs> liked. And I think because Hannah looks so like young, I don't know if that's why she was my favourite, especially because like Joe was always very aggressive. So she was off the off the cards for me. Then there was always like, you know, Rachel Stevens, far too glamorous. I'm never, ever going to end up with <laughs> Rachel. So I guess I kind of sailed for Hannah. Looking back though now, I think I think Tina's the winner. Yeah, and she's left out of this audition scenario, isn't she? I don't know why Tina hasn't been invited to the audition and the other three have. Um, well, she's barely in the episode, to be honest. There's not very much Tina at all. Whenever anyone else goes on any japes, she's, uh, she's not involved. Yeah, because the whole scheme here is that uh, Joni, their landlady, has got them into this audition because she wants one, at least one of them to get hired so they can earn a bit of money and actually pay her rent for yeah. once. But yeah, if she if she brought four people, surely that would have increased her chances of them getting hired even more. I don't know why they've just excluded Tina from this storyline. Well, mate, later on, the only kind of bit that Tina has in this whole episode is the fact that she's angry that they're not rehearsing. So maybe yeah. she's she's there on her own rehearsing by herself because everybody else is off doing other stuff. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, she hasn't got time to go to an audition. She needs to practice this routine for some reason, which... Yeah. I mean, we'll come to this later, but she says it's a new routine for a new song. And they literally performed it in the previous episode on stage. Oh, did they? <laughs> yeah. It's so, I don't know if she's had a breakdown or something. Yeah. But yeah, classic inconsistency there. The director for the audition, he was absolutely driving me mad because there's a theme that runs through the whole episode, which I'm sure must in turn run through the whole series or possibly every series of the show, which is that every person they talk to acts like they've never even heard of England before. Yes. <laughs> and it's like this, I can understand if this show was made to be broadcast elsewhere, but it's been broadcasted to a British audience. So the joke being that nobody knows about Britain gets old so quickly. <laughs> Yeah, because he asks them if they're Australian at first, doesn't he, when he yeah. hears their accents. And Joe looks at him with white-hot rage and goes, <laughs> no, we're from the UK. Yeah. So, like, Joe is getting irritated by this as well. Yeah. <laughs> Everywhere they go, nobody knows anything about Britain. He also describes Shakespeare as the guy with the funny collar who went out with Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. Because I guess Shakespeare in Love was a pretty current reference at the time. Yeah. Well, speaking of sort of current references and the time period, I kind of, again, being the, the gamer guy that I am, I kind of made a little bit of a prediction going into this episode, which is that at the time that this came out, sort of the very late 90s, early noughties, um, the perception of video games in the general media was very negative because mm -hmm. we'd had, we'd just come off the, the, the back of um, Grand Theft Auto games coming out, um, which mm. were getting, you know, all the, um, all the nation's mum's knickers in a twist because they thought that it was going to make all their children into uh, rapists and murderers and a lot of other violent games like Duke Nukem and stuff. So my prediction before we even started was that this was going to be a, a the, the plot of this was going to be anti-video games at some point because mm -hmm. it's going to be middle-aged 
white dudes writing this episode. And it, as I said, like GTA panic at the time means that everything about video games that you were hearing at the time was bad. So I was like, this is going to really, really wind me up this episode, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> and you were correct. Because, yeah, there's... It, Oh, well, well, we'll get to the game in a minute. But yeah. uh, Joni's got them into this audition because she knows the casting guy. And I like how she's not just got them in. She's also there standing next to him, kind of nudging him and being like, oh, you have to hire one of my girls. And yeah. I, I was thinking, I wonder what the other girls think of this, yeah. this obvious corruption. <laughs> and they, the girls don't even want to be there, do they? They're just like, oh, we have to audition for this thing. Yeah, and... Joni even mentions that she used to date the director as well, which again, for yeah. these poor girls, you know, you hear about all in Hollywood, it's not what you know, it's who you know and things like that. And then this is Joni basically saying, this is who I know. <laughs> yeah, I quite like that bit because he, he sort of introduces himself, doesn't he? And then Joni is like, and I'm Joni and I dated Bob from 1978 to 1982. <laughs> and then again, after his marriage broke up and quite rightly, he's like, do they all need to know this? I uh, I was really enjoying the um, the fashion sense in this bit as well because yeah we've got all the girls uh, dressed as uh, as you say like Xena Warrior Princess but then the director uh, looks like he's um, just come from um, off the video of an Offspring music video <laughs> like uh, he's got his hair all spiked up he's got this awful like uh, brown sort of suede jacket and uh, mm -hmm. he's got beads around his neck and it's like the typical sort of surfer Miami LA kind of look from that time period but also he's about two decades too old to pull it off yeah i've also written down Joni refers to the girls as these three limey chicks oh god yeah yeah that really... <laughs> again just british people are so weird <laughs> limey it always takes me out of it when someone says something like limey because that's the kind of insult that we don't actually get called to our faces very often but it's what other countries call us and then every so often when I hear it I'm like oh yeah that's us isn't it? <laughs> yeah I don't think I've ever heard it in real life before and I've heard it more in this show than I ever have in anything else. <laughs> so Joni finally leaves, she's obviously interfered enough um, and the director sort of walks along the line of women looking them up and down and yeah. making notes. And when he goes past Rachel, he says, is your hair real? And then he says he knows someone who would buy it if she really wants to make some money. Yeah. Like, I wonder, is he referring to himself? Is he kind of like, oh, a friend? <laughs> oh, God, I hadn't thought of it like that. <laughs> I know someone who would want to buy your hair. Gross. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. And then as well, like as he's walking down the lineup, all the girls are kind of you know, pulling a pose to sort of look intimidating. And as he goes all the way down the lineup, they're all a bit sort of lackluster. But I thought Hannah in particular was really <laughs> killing it here. She gives it like 110% and then uh, she doesn't get the part. And it really annoyed me that. Yeah, Hannah does a proper sort of extreme pose, doesn't she? Like yeah. she picks up an axe and it, she picks it up as if it's a really heavy axe. So I'm not sure if she's brought a real axe from home or something. <laughs> no, she's just um, really in character, okay? Like don't go bad-mouthing Hannah. She's she's the she's my fave, all right? <laughs> yeah, but he's clearly unimpressed yeah. because he reads out a list of all the girls he wants to invite back for a second audition. And the list includes Joe and Rachel, but not Hannah. Yeah. And I do admire Hannah's self-confidence because when he reads out the list, she's like, 
what? Yeah. <laughs> and she asks him to check it again. Well, yeah, she was giving it her all. I don't, I don't understand. I, I'm really not happy with this guy. I don't think he should be allowed to judge these things anymore. I know, and it's a weird one as well because on their way out, he says he want he wants to see special skills in the next audition. Yeah, <laughs> and he mentions things like juggling and conjuring, which seems so irrelevant to the role that they've got, which is just a person to stand in a mall to publicise a game. <laughs> I know it's very demanding, isn't it? Yeah, very odd. Aren't they funny and cute? Seen worse. What's with the accents? Are you girls Australian? No, we're from the UK. Oh, the place with all the weather. England, Bob. England. Home of the Beatles, the Stones, Shakespeare. Ever heard of Shakespeare? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, the guy with the funny collar went out with Gwyneth Paltrow. All right. We are here because Stratosoft Games are releasing their new game next week. Now, as you know... The star of Spellblaster is Zelda the Sorceress. And we need three Zeldas to travel around, promote the games in local malls. Now I'm Bob Daniels. I'm the one who'll decide which three of you lovely ladies will get that job. And my name is Joni Witherspoon. And I dated Bob between 1978 and 1982. And then again, after his marriage broke up. Although, that had nothing to do with me. Do they need to know that? And I am also here today because of those three limey chicks who can't afford to pay their rent. And unless one of them gets the job, I'm going to have to evict them. Not that I'm trying to influence your decision, Bob, but look at their sweet, innocent faces. Hannah, look sweet and innocent. After this audition, we go to the cafe where the band are rehearsing. So is this a cafe that they come to quite regularly then? Because obviously I've only seen this one episode. Yeah, they've got a sort of regular gig performing there. And they seem to just sort of hang around there a lot. Um, But they're always going on about how they never have any money, even though they perform at this cafe all the time. So I don't know if they're doing it just for free. (laughs) Who knows? More than likely. And they just sort of use it as a rehearsal space and... In this particular case, Hannah is still upset about the audition. And I did quite enjoy this bit where she says, everyone knows I'm meant to be the cutest. And Paul <laughs> goes, hey, I heard that. Yeah, which is which was funny for me personally, because I remember at the time thinking that um, most of the uh, most of S Club 7 I found attractive, except for Paul, which was really <laughs> which is really odd to look back because it's like, well, it, it doesn't really matter. They're all about the same, you know. It's weird that I've singled Paul out as the ugly one. (laughs) I don't know why. Yeah, I think I've mentioned on a previous episode that watching this series now, I think Paul is quite attractive. Um, Not so much in Miami 7. In Miami 7, they all look like children and they look quite sort of unpolished. But then in, in LA 7, they have all sort of grown in attractiveness for some reason in between the two series and Paul in particular I don't remember finding him attractive at the time but he looks quite good in this I think yeah I used to think that I fancied John quite a bit but now looking back I think he looks the weirdest because he he's not a very good actor is he is our John I don't think yeah, he's very sincere. Yeah. Um, like he's trying really hard, bless him. Um, it's like he's not realised that this show's supposed to be funny. Yeah, he takes <laughs> everything very seriously. And um, at this point we find out Bradley is missing the rehearsal because 
shock horror. He's become addicted to a video game. Oh my god! Assassin's Apocalypse. He's gone <laughs> off the rails. Yeah. So we yeah we get to see him playing, and uh, the little we get to see a shot of the game as he's playing it, and everything about it made me hurt just <laughs> looking at it because. Um, it does that thing that you see a lot on fake video games in 90s TV where it has the name of the the game smashed across the screen because it's yeah. called Assassin's Apocalypse and it says level 4 and it's like taking up a quarter of the screen and it's like whenever when have you ever played a game that reminds you whilst you're playing it what you're playing <laughs> Isn't there one bit as well where he kind of goes, "Wow, these graphics are amazing," and they're really not. It's um, <laughs> it's so jittery, and like even for like the nineties, one of my favourite things is looking at um video games in TV because they're always terrible. <laughs> and then um, we see various shots of this game that he's playing throughout the episode, and the the what you can hear is like it's obviously a shooter you can hear all these bad guys screaming as he's killing them and stuff but then when you act, whenever we see it whoever's animated this obviously couldn't design bad guys because every shot is just of an empty corridor <laughs> so, but we can still hear Bradley shooting and people screaming even though what we're watching is just an empty room <laughs> He's going quite mad with the controller as well, isn't he? Yeah. It's like um, when you see people driving yeah. and they're just sort of going all over the place with the steering wheel. He's doing the equivalent of that, but with a, a controller, just sort of swerving it around all over the place. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun. Very fun. Very of its time. And Tina comes in and is like, oh, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> she's so disgusted. Um, and I quite like this line where she says to him, Bradley, you know I don't like violence. Now get your butt down to rehearsals or I'm going to rip both your arms off and beat you to death with them. But yet there's this, it establishes now, doesn't it, that whatever is said to Bradley, he does not give a toss because he is playing a video game and nothing is going to distract him from it. <laughs> yeah, it's dangerous, these video games. You just get you get hooked like that and then you just... Uh, he, isn't it mentioned at one point that he hasn't been to the toilet in two days? Yeah, he hasn't been for a to the loo he hasn't moved he hasn't slept he's just sat there i always think it's funny as well like these episodes like just come out of nowhere in tv where it's like it was never a character trait of this person being into video games then suddenly they're addicted overnight and that's how it gets you <laughs> so the band carry on rehearsing without him apparently for four hours <laughs> by the end everyone's knackered and annoyed that Bradley just hasn't shown up. Yeah. So John and Paul volunteer to go and talk to him. And Paul sort of weirdly says to Tina, oh, we'll do it. We've got a rapport with Bradley. Like he's a pet <laughs> or something. Or like implying that Tina doesn't for some reason. Well, she's already, you know, been mardy all day. So maybe, yeah. Um, you know, maybe it's kind of, you know, we're boys. He's a boy. We can talk to boys. <laughs> Yeah, we've got a rapport with him. Yeah, it's such a weird phrase, isn't it? <laughs> and it's kind of implied, isn't it, that they actually want to go and join him with the game as well. Yeah. Because they kind of say to Tina, oh, it, give us a few hours to talk to him. Yeah. But then we never actually see them playing, do we? They never manage to get Bradley off, off the console. Yeah, because they go over there, don't they? And Paul tries to sort of pull out the plug <laughs> and it has no effect because Bradley has installed some sort of weird backup power system that i don't really understand he's hooked it up to a car battery 
<laughs> is that what it's supposed to be? Yeah, but then, th- but then, like, as soon as Paul sees that he's hooked it up to a car battery, he's just like, "Oh well, we can never turn this console off ever." <laughs> and it's like, well, you could easily just unplug the battery. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh well, that's it then. <laughs> yeah, it's it made me laugh that bit because, uh, yeah, nobody knows what they're uh, doing when it comes to games consoles. That was the other thing that's so strange to watch nowadays because obviously video games are so huge now everyone plays video games of some kind on some platform it's Mm -hmm. so weird that this is kind of the the plot of this episode is aren't video games weird and none of us understand them yeah and that's kind of that's how it was for a while wasn't it It was considered a very niche thing and Mm. stereotypically you know it's it's something that boys do and it's got all this violence in it that you know it's going to corrupt our children yeah well it turned me into who i am today so maybe it does corrupt people i don't know (laughs) (laughs) maybe they were right (laughs) we see joe rachel and hannah in the cafe they're all worn out after their rehearsal and then Joni walks in and throws some absolute shade at them because she asks <laughs> why they aren't rehearsing. And they say, oh, we have been rehearsing. And she's like, oh, I don't mean for that little group thing. I mean for something important. <laughs> so <Zing>. harsh. <laughs> oh, no, she didn't. Yeah, because obviously she's talking about this uh, second audition where they need special skills. And Rachel quite reasonably says, well, can't we just sing? And again, Joni is so rude. She just goes, oh, no, honey, everyone can sing in LA. (laughs) Also, like, it's clearly just, no, that's not good for the plot of this episode. We need to have some kind of skit coming up. You can't sing. (laughs) Yeah, we need to engineer a situation where Rachel has to learn how to ride a unicycle. That's what we're building towards. It's for the same reason that Paul can't um, unhook the games console from the car battery because the plot doesn't want it to happen yet. Yeah, surely they could have come up with something better. Like Bradley's <laughs> attached some sort of lock to it or something, yeah. not just another another plug. Or lock himself in a different room or something. <laughs> and Hannah, even though obviously she isn't part of this storyline anymore because she missed out on the second audition, she tells Joni that she can touch her nose with her tongue and they all react like she's just said she can light her own farts or something. They're all (laughs) really disgusted for some reason, aren't they? And I don't know why. No, I didn't get that either. Um, But then then someone says something way worse later on, which everybody should be disgusted with, but aren't, which we'll come to later. Oh, yeah, that's standard in this show. (laughs) The rules rules don't apply. It's so weirdly written, this show. And this gets even odder as well because... So they they leave apart from Hannah, yeah. Because I guess they're going off to sort of a uh, practice for the audition, and then Hannah is just sitting there on her own, trying to touch her nose with her tongue, and everyone in the cafe like just starts applauding her, uh, but she isn't <laughs> even doing it. Like even if she was doing it, it would be a weird response for for people to just get up and start clapping her, but she isn't even doing it. Like they clearly put that in the script. Hannah's like, but I I can't touch my nose with my tongue. Oh, it'll be fine. We'll do a close-up where we can clearly see you're not doing it, but no one will care. That's such a lazy production, isn't it? Because, like, you would think that at some point somebody would have asked Hannah some kind of gimmick that she can do, that they could have written into the script. Or even if, like, on the day, if she'd said, I can't do that, they could have, you know, last minute changed it to something else. But, yeah, it's so so weirdly written i wonder how if like one of the uh 
because it's directed by the guy that writes it, isn't it? Is that right? Uh, no, but it is um, the same director throughout all four right. series. Um, but yeah, he doesn't write it. He must have been very stubborn to work for, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, surely she could have done something else. Like even just like cross her eyes or something like that. I'm sure Hannah has got some special skill. You'd think so. Well, yeah, she can sing. <laughs> I can touch my nose with my tongue, so I'm going to try that in public and see if people start just applauding me spontaneously. Maybe it's an LA thing. Maybe you have to fly over (laughs) there and then they'll be excited by it. Or disgusted. Yeah, more evidence that Hannah should have got the second audition because she could have just whipped that out. Absolutely. Imagine how terrified you'd be if someone was coming at you with an axe and they were touching their nose with their tongue <laughs> that would be the scariest thing i'd ever seen in my life oh yeah he missed out on hannah's talents he should have definitely hired her <laughs> when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer it streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. So, John and Paul are trying to distract Bradley and... John tries to tell him that they saw Jennifer Lopez in the cafe earlier. Yeah, with some top that shows off her boobs or something. Like. Yeah, oh, this bit made me just like want to crawl out of my own skin because <laughs> it's... I'll put a clip in here because I can't get this across, but Paul just sort of leans in to Bradley and is like, she was wearing that V-neck dress where the V goes all the way down to her waist. like, And he's saying it in a really kind of strangely seductive tone of voice. And then he licks his lips Oof. right next to Bradley's ear. And I was like, I was like gagging. Are you sure he wasn't trying to see if he could reach the, his nose with his tongue? Is that what he was trying to do, <laughs> do you think? <laughs> I would have preferred that context. Yeah, it's um, it's weirdly sexual for a kid's show. It's that kind of thing that would have been more acceptable back then. Do they, do you think they thought that parents would be watching this with their kids and this was like when they throw a little bit in for the dads? Because I don't think that's what actually happened. <laughs> I don't think anyone I sat know. down as a family to watch LA7 when they were younger. Yeah, I really don't think so. I think they probably were thinking that. Or, you know, as you said, it's written by a load of middle-aged men, so they just put this in for themselves. Yeah. It's so uncomfortable. As I said before, Paul's an attractive guy, but this is so, like, out of nowhere. And the fact that he's so close to Bradley's face as well is very strange. (laughs) Yeah. Bradley, come on, we're going to have to shut you down. If you don't put this game on pause right now, I'm pulling the plug. You willing there? Try me. Look. I just want to finish this level, all right? And then I only have about 
13 levels into the last level. Ronnie, you saved the game. I'm pulling. You don't understand, this is a wicked game. Three, two, one. Okay, so that's spooky. No, it isn't. <laughs> Look. Well, you didn't think I'd get to level 84 without backup, did you? This is more serious than we thought. Bradley, come on! Hey, Brad, guess what? We saw um, Jennifer Lopez in the cafe. Mm. And she was wearing that V-neck dress. You know, the one with the V-neck that comes down to her waist. This is much more serious than we thought. But again, it doesn't work. Bradley is so immersed in this game, he just is oblivious to everything else. And then we get a scene where Joni is trying to think what Joe and Rachel can do for their special skill. And Rachel is kind of like, oh, but we can't do anything apart from sing. And Joe says the most entertaining thing Rachel does is when she puts on a face mask and pretends to be a talking avocado. And they both start like wetting themselves about this for some reason. To be honest, I thought this was funnier than anything that they do when they're trying to do stand-up, to be fair. I I quite liked this image. I thought it was quite silly. But yeah, the rest of it is is not not funny. Yeah, Rachel should have done that, shouldn't she? <laughs> yeah, I think um, it's funny... Um, Joni, again, we go back to the fact, did you know that these guys are British? Because um, (laughs) Joni lists off things that are really funny about England, uh, including Monty Python, Hugh Grant and Tony Blair. And uh, that's a very (laughs) interesting thing to say, um, to hear today, suggesting that Tony Blair is a laughingstock when technically at the time, I don't think he particularly was. I don't know if this was like a Tory writer that decided that that was going to be funny because obviously kids wouldn't have thought that at the time. Yeah, because she literally says, doesn't she, um, well, she reels off this list of people and says, you're the laughing stock of the entire world. And I was just thinking, oh, Joni, if if only you knew what we'd become. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those were, those were the glory days. Yeah, if the funniest thing about our politics is Tony Blair back then, Jesus Christ, what, what's happened? <laughs> Yeah, Monty Python, Benny Hill, Hugh Grant and Tony Blair. But because she's American, it's Monty Python, which I always hate. It runs yeah. through me. <laughs> <laughs> also, like, I would argue that Hugh Grant is not funny. I, like, I don't think he's p- supposed to be funny in the films that he's in. I don't think he's like a comedian. Yeah, not. I don't think anyone's used Benny Hill and Hugh Grant in the same <laughs> list before. <laughs> yeah. It's a strange combo. Yeah. But Joni decides that Joe is going to do some stand-up comedy at the audition and that Rachel is going to ride a unicycle because she basically challenges them both to tell her a joke and they both fail, but Joe fails slightly less than yeah. Rachel because her joke has a punchline, even though it's not the proper punchline. But for some reason, Joni's like, that's enough. It's weird that Joni earlier was like, oh, everybody can sing. That's not going to be impressive. But then apparently not being able to tell a joke is going to be more impressive than singing, even <laughs> though they're in a band. <laughs> yeah, it's just so forced. Like, yeah. no, we need, there's, there needs to be a reason why you can't sing at the audition. And the- they could have literally had the guy earlier say, 
we don't want anyone singing. Like that would have made a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah, it would, wouldn't jo- it? Joni randomly telling them, oh, you can't possibly sing. Everyone can sing. Yeah. And the reason that she chooses the unicycle as what um, what Rachel's going to do as her act is literally because somebody goes past on a unicycle and she just yeah, points she and goes. she hasn't thought it through. Yeah, she's just like, that's what you're going to do. You're going to ride a unicycle. <laughs> Uh, it's bizarre. So the two girls go home and walk in on a crisis meeting. Tina says, we're thinking about chucking someone out of the band. And then Joe says, is this about that time I posted nude photos of John on the internet? See, this is the bit that I was expecting everybody <laughs> to be aghast about. and um, No reaction. Nobody reacts at all. They just carry on talking. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I looked at um, the YouTube comments under this episode and someone brought this up and was like, nude photos. And someone had commented on that saying, oh, don't be silly. She says new photos. And I listened to it and I was like, she really doesn't. She says nude. That person (laughs) is incredibly innocent. Yeah. And obviously, like, nowadays that has been deemed illegal, for one thing. (laughs) I know. It's so out of nowhere. It really is. This episode has a lot of inappropriately adult moments because there's more coming as well like compared to usual yeah it's it's bizarre in in the year 2000 where could a member of the general public post nude images on the internet (laughs) i don't know where it would have been easily doable yeah what websites were around then (laughs) what were we using in the year 2000 unless she like posted it to the official like s club 7 fan club page or something (laughs) (laughs) what did it come in your newsletter one month (laughs) well i don't i don't remember it but um i'll have to (laughs) i'll have to see if i can dig it out yeah because obviously like we think of even myspace is years away at this point and sort of that era of the internet the early noughties People just didn't have you could you could go on the internet, you could talk on various things, but actually posting your own content places was very limited unless you hosted your own actual website, pretty much. <laughs> Maybe she's created one. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Johnsnob.com. Yeah, I need this backstory. I need to. I need them to get into this a bit more. But yeah, as you said before, <laughs> nobody responds. We all just carry on with our lives. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the person Tina's referring to, who they're thinking of chucking out of the band, is Bradley because he is still immersed in this game, refusing to sleep or go to the loo. Yeah. Uh, and Paul, Paul now says that the game is apparently impossible to complete without a secret code from the person who created it. Yeah. Well, what he actually calls it is a cheat, which, again, wound me up very much. Because, like, (laughs) it's not a cheat. It's like a code of some kind that you need. Like, a a cheat is kind of what you do to break the game, whereas apparently this is what you need to finish it. So I was like, this this isn't really a cheat. And it wound me up that that, it, again, it's it's obviously written by someone who's never played a game before in their life. Like, why would anybody make a game that you need a cheat to finish? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's the incentive for that? Yeah. And they say there's like a hundred levels, isn't there? And it's, yeah. it's not even a cheat to finish the game. It's a cheat to get to the final level. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> and it's it's apparently the same games company that Joe and Rachel are auditioning for, which means they've got an address 
horrifically convenient that wasn't it <laughs> yeah so they, again they could have just explained it another way they could have just looked up the company and gone over there but no it's joan rachel just have the address to hand paul tina and hannah decide to go over there and pay the, the boss a visit yeah um and yeah after they've left john sort of turns to joe and is like you put a nude picture of me on the internet and then yeah. he just sort of pushes her off the sofa and starts beating her up, which is quite reasonable, yeah, I think. Yeah, quite apt, but it's just really funny that it took that long for it to sink in. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody else cares. Yeah. So three of them go to visit this game designer and they manage to get past the receptionist by saying they're emergency programmers and they've been called in because the company's system has been infected with a virus. Yeah. And we've got some great references here because Tina says it's going to be worse than Y2K. Yeah, it's the Z3L bug, which I thought was actually a pretty <laughs> decent gag for the for the calibre of gags in this show. I thought that was all right. Yeah, it's because obviously the Millennium bug would have been the year before. So it mm -hmm. is very relevant. But I thought it was really funny that, um, you know, these IT people come in and say that they need to talk to like literally the CEO head of the company to sort it out. And it's like, I'm pretty sure you could just come in and just do it. Like, yeah. <laughs> It's a very weird excuse to try and get to talk to the guy. I thought. Yeah, I, I did quite enjoy this bit just because of how dated it is when yeah. Paul says, yeah, if we don't fix it, planes are going to fall out of the sky, economies are going to collapse, and the barcodes in Safeways will fail. Yeah, I'd written that down as well because, yeah, <laughs> Safeways, remember them. Yeah, defunct in 2005, I think it said when I looked it up. <laughs> well, um, funny inside fact, they were bought out by the co-op, and I know that because I used to work for the co-op, and all of our stuff behind the scenes all said Safeways on it. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So 2005. So that, that reference became dated quite quickly. <laughs> but I enjoyed that. The barcodes in Safeways will fail. Yeah. And the thing about the planes falling from the sky, that's the kind of stuff that people genuinely thought would happen uh, with the Millennium mm. Bug, um, which would not have happened. But um, what a lot of people don't realise these days is we think of it as sort of like this joke thing that happened but actually um it was a real big problem that uh, that we actually managed to solve like nerds managed to fix it, everyone's computers before it happened but it's funny because like obviously we're in covid land right now like we're sort of on the way to maybe a second lockdown as we're recording but um a lot of people have referenced y2k and how that was all we were worried so much about it and nothing happened and we should be thinking the same of COVID. But actually, Y2K was a massive problem, which did actually get solved. And that's why people think it was a hoax, because we fixed it. <laughs> yeah, behind the scenes. Because yeah. um, there's, there's a podcast called You're Wrong About, which is really good. <clears throat> and they did a really interesting episode about Y2K and how people are like, oh, it, you know, it hit midnight and nothing happened. And it's like... You know, so many countries spent billions yeah. of pounds or dollars, you know, doing all that stuff behind the scenes. So it's kind of hard to tell, like, did nothing happen because nothing was going to happen anyway? Or did nothing happen because all these preparations were made? Like, yeah. but then people nowadays are like, oh, yeah, nothing happened. Yeah. <laughs> all the people who put their, put effort into it, like, oh, yeah, okay, that didn't matter then, obviously. Yeah. Well, there's a really good... Uh, 
saying about the podcast, there's a really good um, YouTuber called LGR, um, which stands for Lazy Game Reviews, but he does a brilliant video again, um, and he did it quite recently because of COVID and everything, but he's got a fantastic video talking about the same thing, about what actually happened with Millennium Bug, which is absolutely fascinating, especially if you're too young to have been there at the time. It's a really good little listen. Yeah, because I would have been like seven or eight at the time, so I don't remember really. I probably would have heard about it, but didn't really understand what it was all about. So, yeah, it is interesting to read about it now and think, oh, people were going crazy. Like, Well, similar to recently people stockpiling and yeah yeah thinking the world was going to end and it well it didn't it wouldn't have ended but it could have been very catastrophic but not quite that bad but yeah hi we're here to see mr donahue the president of the company i see and do you have an appointment that depends whether you're gonna check what we saw in that little computer gizmo yes (laughs) then we don't but we really need to see him. I'm sorry, Mr. Donahue sees no one without an appointment. But this is really important, really important, because, well, we're the... Um, we're the <clears throat> emergency programmers called in from Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, we that's are. That's us. Emergency programmers. Mm-hmm. Emergency. Yes. Um, because your systems have been infected by a nasty virus. It's like computer flu. It gives you a sore processor, a blocked modem, and a fever. I mean, e-fever. You've heard of the Y2K bug? Well, this is the Z3L bug. It's even worse. Oh, my gosh. But still, Mr. Donahue is a very busy man. Believe you me, lady, if he thinks he's busy now, he'll be a whole lot busier. When planes start falling from the sky, entire nations' economies collapse and the barcodes in Safeways fail. Do you understand? Do you want to be the woman who prevented us from preventing that? Mm? Mm? All right, go in. He's through there. Thank you. Thank you. So at this this games company, they get in, they managed to get in to see the boss... Um, I looked at the receptionist, by the way, and she's done. She's had a pretty good career. She's got quite a lot of credits on her IMDb compared to most people in this show. All right. So well, well done to her. <laughs> um, they go to see the boss, who turns out to be a 13-year-old boy called yep. Spike, who's very obnoxious and quite creepy towards Hannah. Yep. So again, it's kind of, I think it's supposed to be a satire of like what a gamer would be like at the time. So it's like, yeah, gross and pervy and misogynistic. And it's probably because the video games have done it to him, I'm guessing. But obviously like the joke as well is this kid is really young, but he's trying to perv on all these girls. <laughs> yeah, and he's they they well they tell him about their problem and say, "Oh, you know, our friend can't complete Assassin's Apocalypse." And he's kind of like, "Oh, is your friend a moron? I made that game when I was 6." Yep, so another angry gamer moment. Um I the first thing that instantly when he said that was that can't be true because the PlayStation 1 didn't exist back then. So <laughs> <laughs> So unless he was creating it before the console existed, I I doubt that highly. <laughs> it, it was that ahead of his time. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, he's he's calling Hannah like gorgeous and like sweet potato and he he eventually agrees agrees to go over to the apartment and help Bradley if Hannah is going to kind of stick around and keep him company. Yeah. And she just she's not she's not really 
up for it, but I think Tina sort of stamps on her foot, doesn't she? Like, come on, you have to do this. Yeah, she does this weird little thing, which is she puts her hand on her head and says, please, like really begging. But it's really very, like the, the director has obviously said to her, right, what you need to do is put your hand on your head and say please and she clearly feels very awkward doing it and it just looks really <laughs> odd because it's so unnatural and she's kind of yeah it was very weird she didn't it didn't look right <laughs> yeah I, I looked up this kid couldn't really find much about him but his on imdb his only credit after this is in a show called your kid ate what? With a question mark at the end, which is one of these bizarre American shows. It apparently reenacts children eating dangerous things, like apparently real life situations. And apparently the episode he's in features the following items being consumed, a uh, rat poison, a battery, coins, magnets, and a toy trumpet. <laughs> But it was quite a few years later, so I'm I'm guessing he wasn't a kid in it because it was like 2009 or something like that. So, but yeah, it was his only credit after this. Just randomly, about nine years later, he was in an episode of Your Kid Ate What? How this can't have been a very long series if they were able to get that many dangerous <laughs> items into one episode because that's like every that's every dangerous was, item yeah. I could think of. <laughs> How weird. I think there was like three episodes or four or something like that. It was short-lived, clearly. <laughs> Maybe they all died. <laughs> American TV is weird. Yeah. But, well, we get a little shot of Joni trying to teach Rachel how to ride a unicycle. We do. And this is a weird sequence because it's clearly not Rachel Stevens, is no, it? No, it's very definitely <laughs> not her on the unicycle. But what confuses me the most is that, so obviously we get some close-ups of Rachel's face, like, you know, this is her, she's just sort of wobbling around, uh, and then we get long shots of someone riding a, a unicycle who is supposed to be Rachel but isn't, but she's going like, whoa, whoa, and it's blatantly not her voice either, like, could they, <laughs> why didn't they just dub... Her saying it over that, I don't like, know. It's, it really doesn't sound like her. I was really interested to. I would love to have known how they actually did film the close-ups of Rachel because it very authentically looks like her on a unicycle. I thought mm -hmm. so. I don't know if she's actually riding a unicycle in the close-ups as well, but just maybe they've got like um, mats everywhere or something because it was really looked like she was on a unicycle. Yeah, maybe they thought she could do it and she <laughs> could manage it a little bit for a few seconds, but not, you know, across that distance. Yeah. And we it goes as well as you'd imagine. And we're here all like smashing and crashing off camera, don't we? And after that, we get a scene where Joe is trying out her stand-up comedy on John uh, on the beach for some reason. I don't know why they're not doing it in the apartment because uh, John is just sort of sitting on a little deck chair, isn't he? Like he's an audience. Yeah, with his top off. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, when you're a little kid and you've made up like a, I don't know, like a little play or something and you make your parents sit in the garden <laughs> and watch. It yeah. looks like that. Yeah. John does not want to be part of this. No. Yeah, she tells some rubbish jokes, doesn't she? And he's kind of giving her some polite laughter. And this was the bit where I was like really not keen on John's acting. This was the point where I was like, yeah, this kid cannot act because he he basically decides to train her on how to handle hecklers. 
by yeah. heckling her, but very badly and very politely. <laughs> yeah, one of the things he says is, um, you just smell funny. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, his delivery is so lacking in any kind of energy or anything. Like it just, his facial expression just stays completely blank as well. He doesn't look angry. <laughs> He's very, it's very odd. And I quite enjoyed this bit where, um, well, first he explains to her what heckling is mm. and she goes, oh, you mean like when we're rehearsing and we come to your solo and Bradley tells you to shut up? <laughs> <laughs> I, I quite like the uh, the imagery of that. Yeah. Poor John. And he also says to her, you need to lose the rude joke about the Wizard of Oz. And I want to know what that joke was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know any rude jokes about the Wizard of Oz. I have to look them up. <laughs> no. Yeah, what could that have been that wasn't appropriate? <laughs> That's all from me, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Zelda the Sorceress, and good night. Okay, so lose the gag about the goblin thing and the really rude one about the Wizard of Oz, but apart from that, it was all right. So do you think I'm nearly ready? Almost. You still don't know how to handle hecklers yet. Hecklers? Yeah, you know, people that stand up and shout things out while you're doing your act. Oh, right. You mean like when we're rehearsing and we come to your solo and Bradley shouts at you, oh, shut up. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. OK, so just imagine you're doing your act, OK, and I'm a heckler. I'm going to stand up and shout things out like, get off, and I've had funny acne, and you're rubbish, and you just smell funny. I mean, what are you going to do? OK, so there's one option. Um, so they've got Spike at the apartment now. And they ask if he can help Bradley. And oh, again, he, he turns to Hannah and is like, well, I can help him, but first, Spike needs a hug. Whoa, he himself gross. in the third person. And I, I like how Paul goes in for a hug really sincerely. Yeah, he's like, him. not you. <laughs> what makes it worse is that then um, he eventually gets the hug that he wanted and his re retort is, how was that for you? And Ooh, just like, yeah. oh, gross. I think he calls it like a, a tootsie roll or something as well in this bit. Yeah, and earlier in the office he refers to her as sweet potato as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's grim. The joke is that he's, you know, out of his league and he's only a kid, but it's still still pretty minging. Yeah, how was that for you? <laughs> <laughs> and he tells Bradley to press control number eight, whatever that could mean. Oh, God, yeah, don't, don't get me started on that. When have you ever seen a controller with an eight on it? Because <laughs> <laughs> it looks like he sort of, I don't know, he sort of presses two things at the same time, the two sort of the triggers, yeah, and it works. It takes him to the final level. This mad elaborate cheat that we were all waiting for and it's pressed two buttons at the same time and that's it. <laughs> yeah, he could have easily just stumbled across that. Yeah, especially the way Bradley was just smashing his fingers on any button he could. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And then this, this pervy kid is trying to chat with Hannah again yeah. and she says, oh, you're 13, why would I be interested in you? And then he's like, oh, well, you know, I've got five mansions and a yacht in the south of France and I'm worth 20 billion. And she sort of like moves closer to him on the sofa and goes, do you like Chinese? <laughs> like that's that's one of her essential requirements in a relationship. That's her opening line. Yeah, I thought that was quite funny, kind of sounds like quite a British thing to say considering yeah. that we're over in LA. I quite like that little bit. She looks quite sweet as well. She, her, the way her attitude changes. <laughs> yeah. She finds out he's got some money. She's like, considering 
paedophilia in order to get access to a yacht in the south of france <laughs> well if he's satisfied with a hug it's it's all right you know it's all very innocent honest she's willing to put up with it um so bradley finally completes this game he jumps up and starts dancing around but all of his bones sort of crack because he hasn't moved in several days i wonder how many days it's been now because we got told earlier it was two and now it's like later isn't yeah, it? yes it's, it's at least three well you said about it sounding like his bones cracked but i really didn't know like i couldn't decide if the audio was like bones cracking or if it was his stomach rumbling because then as soon oh, as he maybe. stands up he suddenly needs a poo as well so yeah he run, <laughs> runs upstairs to the bathroom so i wasn't quite sure i i had to listen a couple of times and i couldn't decide if it was bones cracking or if it was his stomach but yeah then he needs he needs the toilet very badly yeah he he clearly hasn't been sort of i don't know he needs to be stretching his legs he could have got a blood cloth or something <laughs> for sitting still that long then we get a performance at the cafe at this point, yep. which is Cross My Heart. And Bradley's like, considering he was like pretty much paralysed in the previous scene, did you notice he was sort of dancing way more than the rest of them? Like, I don't know if it was a deliberate choice or if he was just doing that anyway. Maybe, but what I noticed was obviously the whole plot of the episode is Tina getting annoyed that they're not rehearsing their routine. And then it comes to the actual performance and there isn't a routine at all they're all just doing their own thing and i was like why have you spent this whole thing getting mardy and then the the choreography is apparently just do whatever yeah it's all so confusing because what it looked like they were rehearsing before is the song they performed at the cafe in the previous episode weird so i don't i don't understand because it was um the music they had on was Stand By You and they were doing a sort of like boppy dance to it. But we've already established this, guys. You've performed that song. It's gone. And so then this weird. one is just... They could have easily just swapped the two of them. Right. How weird. <laughs> yeah, because it's a very weird little section, this, which I was... Obviously, this is a show about a, a pop band. So you'd expect that you know, if the rest of the episode's a bit shoddy, at least the performance at the end is going to be filmed well. And it wasn't really filmed very well, I thought. It was still just like, as I say, the, there wasn't choreography as such. It was more mm -hmm. of just sort of like them all doing their own thing. The camera's just kind of quite static and it just didn't look very good, I thought, considering that's the whole point of the, the show is to promote this band. Yeah, definitely. They're all just sort of swaying around, aren't they? And yeah. Bradley, I got distracted by because he was sort of spinning around, really going for it in comparison to everyone else. Yeah, and then like in some shots, they're all in like a you know a line, and then in some shots, they're just spread out all over the place, haphazard, and it's just like it. It feels like someone pointed a camera at them and was just like, "Yeah, go for it," and that, that's <laughs> that's what they've filmed. It's so weird. Yeah. Speaking of like. Um, the fact that it's obviously to promote a band. I don't know if anyone else has mentioned it, but I'm so surprised that this show was on the BBC of all places because the BBC obviously notoriously um, avoids any kind of um, advertising or, you know, product placement of any kind because it's kind of publicly funded. But this entire series is to promote a pop band 
And I can't believe it made it onto the BBC network rather than anywhere else. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that before. I wonder how they got around that. Yeah, because at the time you had, um, you know, ITV, Channel 3 had their own kids slot as well, which was on at the same time as I, as BBC. So it could have been, it would have been a better fit on CITV, and it, but it wasn't. It was a BBC production. Yeah, at one point they did a special on CITV, and I still don't know why. And it looked like it was a lot more, um, like they had a lot more money behind it because this one special looks so, like, sleek compared to the cbbc series <laughs> but i don't know why they just did this one special on itv and then everything else was on cbbc but yeah i didn't think about that before i wonder how they got around that because it is just sort of you know to promote their music isn't it yeah and to make other people a lot of money yeah that is a strange one but d- during this song <laughs> we get some <laughs> shots of Joni with spike dancing yeah. with each other and he gives her a bit of a feel up, doesn't he? Dirty bastard. Yeah. He puts his hand on her bum and she is rightly horrified. <laughs> and he goes, oh, you know what they say? You're only as old as the woman you feel. Oh, thank you for teaching that expression to all the children watching. <laughs> what a great message for everyone. These are all the gross things that you've heard your least favourite uncle say at Christmas one time, isn't it? It's just minging half the stuff he says. It's gross. It was so bizarre to think, yeah, we'll just put that in a kid's show. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> they can go around repeating that. Yeah. It's so bizarre. So after the performance, Joe and Rachel turn up for their second audition. Because usually in these episodes, the performance is like the climax of the episode. Yeah. So when I was watching it, I was thinking, I was kind of thinking, oh, it's finished now. <laughs> and then there's like a whole five minutes afterwards because we have to wrap up this audition plot. Did they really? I would quite happily have just forgotten it. <laughs> yeah, it could have easily just forgotten. But it was all for nothing anyway, because they turn up at the audition only to find that Joni got the date wrong and they've missed it. Yeah. And I, I like how in this episode, Joni is just like their mum, isn't she? Because she's dropped them off. Apparently she was responsible for knowing the date of this. Yeah. When, like, we literally saw before they had a sheet of paper with the address of the company on it. So surely that had the date on it as well. I don't know why they're relying on Joni. Like, she's a sort of stage mum in this episode. Yeah, it's that kind of weird thing, isn't it? Where, because they're kind of mid to late teens, half the time they're treated as these responsible adults that can live in an apartment together and be like really uh, independent, but then they still need their mum to take them to auditions and remember things for them. (laughs) It's very weird. It's like, we couldn't have possibly known the date. It's all up to Joni. And Rachel says, what do you expect from someone who does tarot readings for dogs? (laughs) Poor Joni, she tried to get them some work. (laughs) That's very LA, that kind of thing, isn't it? (laughs) So they turn up, there's another audition happening for a toothpaste commercial. And if for some reason it's the same guy running the audition, (laughs) because I kind of assumed before that he worked for the games company, but obviously he doesn't, unless they're like branching out into toothpaste. Yeah. Uh, But he obviously recognises them and says, oh, that audition was yesterday, you missed it. Uh, And he asks them if they want to join this audition as well. And initially they're like, 
oh no, no flipping way. Like they're, they're really weirdly resistant mm. to being in an advert of a toothpaste. Like it's like pile cream or something. I don't know why this, again, people being disgusted by things that they shouldn't be disgusted by. Yeah, they're happy to dress up as um, warrior princesses for, um, you know, a games campaign, but they absolutely draw the line at being teeth. That's not acceptable. <laughs> so, yeah, obviously the punchline is they obviously do do the audition and get the part. Yeah. So we see this nightmarish advert where they're both playing, like, singing teeth. It's pretty horrific, isn't it? It really reminded me of in Friends, that um, episode where Joey does the uh, Ichiban lipstick for men advert. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> it is, it's a very cheesy, over-the-top advert, full of... Um, tooth puns though i thought it was quite funny <laughs> yeah it's um they're sort of like but and they're, they're weirdly singing in the advert and the singing sounds like they've recorded it on a potato or something i don't know what happened there <laughs> it does not sound good it was probably recorded live on set yeah we need quick we need a jingle for this toothpaste advert singing to this yeah <laughs> but it made me think of i don't know if you like james a caster at all but because they're dressed up as teeth he does a bit where he is talking about seeing a picture of a smiling tooth at the dentist. And he's thinking, the tooth has teeth. Do the tooth's teeth have teeth too? Like, it's just a never-ending cycle of, like, the teeth have teeth. What is this? Yeah, never thought of that. But it made me, it made me think of that. It's like a surreal nightmare. Amazing. And obviously the band are all watching, finding it hilarious. Yep. And then, yeah, they start doing all these puns, don't they? Like, oh, you both looked really polished. Yep. And again, it's, as you said, like all of this bit after the performance, it just feels, it's a bit like the end of the Lord of the Rings when it's just ending after ending <laughs> after ending. Just like, keeps going. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, yeah, we 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 get it. We can finish now, if you like. I'm not bothered about them being laughed at. <laughs> and Paul is so proud of himself because he kind of goes, what's the matter? Flossed your sense of humour and just... <laughs> pisses himself laughing yeah and it kind of ends with while well, the girls are annoyed they storm off and bradley goes don't forget to brush yourselves which isn't really a pun is it i don't think so i think i think maybe the joke is that it's deliberately bad because yeah. it's often kind of established that bradley is the dumbest one right so they're all doing these puns and bradley doesn't really get what's going on he's like dougal in father ted there isn't a little shot of them not reacting to it kind of thing is there it's just a bad pun and then it ends <laughs> yeah <laughs> we ended on that note maybe or maybe bradley's like oh his brain cells have died because he's been playing video games so much more than likely yeah who who who's he to diss anybody after the day he's had come on <laughs> so any final thoughts on this episode um yeah it made me very angry <laughs> um yeah everything to do with the game side of things just made me want to hurt myself but um it was very interesting to see what i used to think was fun at the time because at the time (laughs) i was obsessed with this show i thought it was the best thing on tv looking back i cannot believe anybody would ever think that about it it is so random i can't even imagine like kids today finding it particularly entertaining i tried to put it into more context as well because i was going to watch the first episode of the season Mm -hmm. just to make sure i got 
what was happening because I thought like Joni was their like agent or something rather than a landlord because it would have made more sense that they had one yeah. out there kind of thing but I, I couldn't watch the first episode because it was whoever's put it on YouTube it was like the the video was throbbing and like shifting really weirdly and it was making me feel seasick yes yeah, some of the some of them I like that for some reason I'm not sure why but yeah the odd episode every now and again is a chore to well yeah. more of a chore to watch than usual well i was really worried that that would be the same for this episode i think the reason that they're doing it is to maybe get around um youtube's content id because if it's if the image is sort of warping and changing like the automated processes won't be able to spot that it's sort of copyrighted mm. material i thought but the five minutes of that that i watched i remembered clear as day as if i'd watched like yesterday rather than 20 years ago which was the bit the bit the bit with the bathroom yeah what the hell yes. was that about like it was so weird but that is my lasting memory of this show yeah. when we when i got to it i was like oh my god the bathroom yeah but for some reason i do not remember this episode at all um mm. i wonder if you know i was into video games back then so maybe it wound me up so much back then that i blocked it out but yeah did not enjoy <laughs> That's what we like to hear. <laughs> so before we finish, where can people find you online? And is there anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, cool. So as you mentioned at the top, I do um, a couple of podcasts. I used to have a podcast called Without a Mouse, where I used to watch and review live action Disney movies on the hunt for a hidden gem. Spoiler alert, there aren't very many. Um, but that's <laughs> a really good uh, show that I'm quite proud of. Um, and you can find that. Uh, as I say, it's called Without a Mouse and the Twitter is at Podwam and we're also on Instagram at Without a Mouse. And then my current show, um, I interview guests about their favourite memories, fondest memories of video gaming past and present. And that is called We Played This. And you can find that on Twitter and Instagram at We Played This Pod. Thank you for listening to this episode of It's an S-Pod Thing. It was edited by Alex Blondek with music by William Kitchener. If you enjoyed the podcast and want to let us know that we're your number one, please subscribe and leave us a good review. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.